So I'm glad to be here, and I'm going to catch you back up to where I was or where we were the last time I was here. The context of the message is that the Holy Spirit stirred us through a prophetic utterance in two people in our church to strengthen our core. We've been praying for souls, and the Lord is saying, I believe very, very strongly, that we're not ready for souls. Well, I think we are. I mean, we're getting ready, but we need to be conscious of what he's telling us and what he's teaching us through his word. So we're talking about being strengthened in our core, being prepared for the souls that he sends us. The people that are going to come are likely not to know him, or, or even worse, they'll think they know him, but it won't be a true knowledge of God. So the context of the message is continuing in that conversation about being strengthened in our core, that we might be ready to receive and disciple souls. All right? Okay, so um, we started with God's plan of redemption, right? It's been going on for years. We read the stories from the Old Testament. We talked about Adam and Eve. And we've come to the place in the story where the key players are the Holy Spirit and you and me, the church, right? There is no plan B to God's redemption story for mankind. It's us. Holy Spirit will not fail in God's plan. The only potential weak link would be us if we are not committed to his purpose. So we need to understand that he's talking to me and you and you and you and you and you and you and everybody. All of us that have confessed Christ as Lord means that we don't have a life anymore. And everything we do is for God. Now, we go to work for God. We coach football for God. We do the things that he would have us to do for him. But those things that aren't for him aren't for us. And whenever our paths divulge from his, we need to get back because he's not wrong. We are. We traded this little life that the Bible says is a vapor. It's like when you're outside on a cold day or in here today, actually. You know, you can see your breath. You can see your breath. <laughs> and it's gone as fast as it's there. That's what, that's what this temporal life, this, this natural life is in the scheme of eternity. When we get there, everything we did, everything we sacrificed for the cause of the Lord, we'll be really glad for that, okay? All right, so uh, last thing Jesus did before he left was he told us what we're to do. There were four things. We were to proclaim the gospel and repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So we're out there all the time. We're pro proclaiming the gospel, and we're... Pro Why is that a hard word? We're preaching the gospel, and we're preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's the message that he told us to speak. We're also to make disciples. We're told to teach them to observe everything that he taught us. Everything he taught us is in here. Make disciples and teach them all these commands that I've given you. Third thing is we're to baptize them. And then the fourth thing is that we're to be his witness in all the earth. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I send you. So that was his command. Those are the things that we would work from. As we go off and do the work of the kingdom, it's in the context of what Jesus told us to do. Everything else is kind of the how, but this is the what. Then we talked about um, being and making disciples. That was the last conversation that, that we had together on a Sunday morning. We talked about not being conformed to the pattern of this world, laying aside our old selves, being renewed in our minds. So those are... Um, those are from scriptures in Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians, I think chapter 4. I'm not positive about the Ephesians address. But we're to be different. When we confessed Christ 
and, and said that we believe by faith that he was who the word says he is on our behalf for our relationship with God eternally, we should start to be different. And if we're not different, we should be humble enough to, to worry about that because there isn't anything in the word that would teach me that, that you can be a Christian and not change. So the process starts up here. Everything starts up here. The battle is up here, renewed in our mind, renewed in the spirit of our minds, he says in Ephesians. Not conforming to the ways of this world, the patterns, the things that the world does are not to be our ways anymore. As we go off and we make disciples and we be disciples, we have to understand that we have to be constantly assessing ourselves, our walk with the Lord. Am I changing? Am I growing? Uh, reflecting the likeness of Christ. In 1 Corinthians and in Hebrews, Paul and the writer of Hebrews, Paul to the church at Corinth and, and then the Hebrews writer to the church in general, really, really kind of lays a smackdown on the church and says, listen, you know, in Corinthians, he said, I got to treat you like carnal people, like people that aren't even born again, because you're not growing. You're just acting like fleshly people. You argue and you fight, and, and there's no evidence of the spirit of you, in you. I should be able to speak to you as adults, but I can't because you're like little children. And then in Hebrews, he says, by now you should be a teacher, but instead of you teaching others, I have to continue to spoon-feed you milk. You can't even digest meat because you haven't progressed the way that you should. We see from that, as disciples, that to stand still is not okay with the Lord, that we have to be constantly growing and maturing so that we can increase in our usefulness for the Lord, so that we can become more like Christ. Our light and our salt have to be bright and salty to be effective. So it's not okay if, you, if you, somebody told you that you could pray a prayer and then just live your life and die and go to heaven someday. It's not what the Bible teaches. We're to grow and mature, become more like Christ. And then back to Romans 12, um, 2 or 3, that we're to prove God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. Literally in the process of being a disciple, we will prove God's will. I love that. Because God's will might be for somebody in a wheelchair to walk. I want to be the guy that proves God's will, right? I want to be so full of the power of the Holy Spirit that when he calls me over to a wheelchair, I get to pray and see his power manifest in a person like that. There's a million ways that we prove God's will. One of the ways is just in the change in ourselves and our love for one another. That's God's will. We prove that every single day. We should be declaring with our lives God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. All right, and then both of the last two times we ended with a short conversation about, actually started and ended, that Christianity is not a casual pursuit. Let me just stop here for a second, and this is the heavy burden on my heart. I, I don't know most of, you know, 6.8 days a week what your lives are like, and it's hard for me because I I don't want to be the leader that's just a guy going for a walk. I believe that God has placed us here for a purpose. I, I believe that he'll have his purpose be done, but I, I'm a sales guy. You know, I had a quota. If, if I had to sell a million dollars and I sold 900,000, I knew I needed to get busy. If I sold a million one, I knew I was a hero. It's so difficult. And maybe God doesn't want me to measure, but he is so impressing on me that Christianity is not a casual pursuit. It's not something that you do when you get a minute. It's everything that you are. It's everything that you do. And all the other stuff happens in the process of being Christian and serving the Lord. 
being surrendered, being laid down, being lovers, being Christ-like, that's the burden that's on my heart. So everything that, that you hear today is coming from that place in my heart that worries that somebody, one person maybe, isn't hearing that and that they're not with God where they think they are and that wrecks me. Okay, back on plan. There were three courses of scripture that the Holy Spirit used to help me to understand that Christianity is not a casual pursuit. The first one was the parable of the talents, right? And in that parable, I see the master and the slave as God and us. In this case, there's three slaves. They were each given something by their master, just like we were. When we're born again, we're given his spirit, the power that raised him from the dead, the power of God inside of us has been given to us, along with a voice, a heart, a mind, financial, tangible resources, all these things. In the parable, two of those three guys took what they were given, they worked it, they invested it, they caused something to happen, and they were able at their time when they had to go meet their Lord, just as we'll go and meet our Lord, they were able to offer him something in return. You gave me five, I got five more, here's ten. You gave me two, I made two more, Lord, here's four. Lord, you're a scary guy to me, you gave me one. I want to be sure I at least had the one to give back to you, so I buried it in the ground and waited for you to come back. I dug it up that you're here. Here's your one back. His response to that guy should make you shudder. It was, you are wicked and lazy. He didn't say, wow, you know, I appreciate you didn't lose my one. You know, let's, let's give it to you again, and let's give you another try. I'd really like to see you come back with one and a half. He said, you did nothing with what I gave you. You are wicked and lazy. And then he sent him out to the place that none of us want to spend our eternity. He means business. The second course of scripture that he used to help us to understand that he means business is Revelation chapter 3, the church at, oh, I hope I put it down. I didn't. I think it's Laodicea, where basically he tells them that I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were hot. I wish you were cold. But you're lukewarm. You got one foot in and one foot out. And you're playing this game of I want to have my life, but I want to kind of be assured I'm going to go to heaven, you're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I spit you out of my mouth. I got nothing, no need for somebody who thinks he's okay, who, who is lukewarm, not hot or cold. He's speaking to the church. Those are red letters in Revelation. The third one was Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, and to them he said, I'm going to take the kingdom from you, right? The chosen people was Israel, the sons of Jacob, sons of Abraham. And I'm going to give the kingdom to a people who will produce the fruit of it. So these guys were producing no fruit, right? We're not going to talk about it today, but, but if, you, if you want to get a sense for fruit, read John 14 and then read John 15. I think some of the things in 14 are the fruit that he talks about in 15, but Jesus talks about, I'm the, I'm the branch and you're the vine. And the vine dresser is my father in heaven. And the vine dresser looks at that branch and any part of that branch that's not producing fruit, he cuts it off. That's that process of us being molded and shaped and going through the fire and, and being tested so that we can produce more and better fruit. But the branch that won't produce any fruit, he cuts it off and throws it in the fire, right? God expects us to produce fruit. And he told these guys, I'm taking the kingdom from you and I'm gonna find somebody that will do something with it and produce the fruit of it. Today's conversation then, and I prayed when we started, I prayed that we would know the fullness of God. Man, you gotta, you gotta really care. I gotta care. I really, I want a greater revelation of everything that's God. I want to have such an acute fear of the Lord that 
I don't have any worries at all. I don't want necessarily to preach hellfire and damnation, but nobody talks hellfire and damnation to anybody. Sin is bad. God's not going to tolerate it. He's graceful. He's forgiving. He's merciful, but not to the person that would mock him. So I want you to know God loves you. He is all those things that we would consider good, but he's also just, and he's also true, and he's going to stick to his plan, whether it includes us or not, at the end. Okay? Man, I am preaching hellfire and damnation. Whew. Come on. I, I listen to guys teach, and they would tell you the what, but never the how. Or give you a perspective of, you know, God expects you to produce fruit, but then not tell you what it is. So I thought, you know, I need to be fair to the church, and I'm going to take a Sunday and talk about what is it. You know, okay, you got me scared out of my chair. I don't want to be wrong with God. I need to go produce some fruit. Is it an apple? Is it a pear? Is it a peach? What the heck is this fruit that I'm supposed to produce? I thought, well, this will be an easy sermon until you start reading and studying and trying to figure out exactly, God, what is it? How do I tell them what to do so they know they're okay? And maybe that's part of the mystery is that we'll work out our salvation with fear and trembling because we can't be all the way sure of exactly what it is that he's expecting from us at any moment. But we can get a good sense. So I got up from my desk. I went in my prayer chair. I put uh, worship music in my ears and I started praying, Lord, what's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer? And scriptures came to me. So I think I have for you today, the part of the answer that God wants you to hear. I think this answer is bigger than what I'm going to share with you today, but I'm going to share with you today what I think God wants you to hear. So, what is the fruit that I'm supposed to produce? There's, there's two kinds of fruit. They're probably reasonably interlaced with each other, but there's two kinds of fruit that the Holy Spirit is expecting, that God is expecting for us to produce. The first is the fruit of your person. That's who you are. It's who you've become. It's who you're becoming. The second is the fruit of your life. It's those things that, through your actions and through the fruit of your person, that have actually happened as a result of Christ in you. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the fruit of your person, but we're going to camp a lot on the the fruit of your life. I I think we'll need to come back to the fruit of your person because it's critically important. If, If the fruit of your person is lacking, I don't think the fruit of your life can happen. But the way the Holy Spirit impressed on me, that the scriptures that he gave me to speak about today, I think really speak more powerfully to the fruit of your life than they do necessarily to the fruit of your person. So, quickly on the fruit of your person. First would be the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? In Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, we see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Then he says, he's talking about all these yucky things, these horrible fruits of the flesh that could come out of you. And all those things bring judgment and condemnation. And then he tells us about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit in you will produce these kind of characteristics in your life, these behaviors, these thoughts, these ways of being. And against these, there is no law. There's nothing that you got to worry about. There's no law that can come against you when you walk in love when you're filled with joy and peace, when you're faithful to the things that God's given us to do, you're good, very excellent, no problem. No law comes against the fruit of the Spirit. The other things, and they're not listed. I'm sure they're fruits of the Spirit, although you can see people in the world that still have some of this. I think maybe it's because everyone is made in the likeness of God. But there's three other things that that came to me that I thought were really critical. If we were going to talk a long time about the fruit of your person, we talk about honor, we talk about humility, 
Can I remember the third one without looking? It's an H word. Honor, humility, and holiness. Dang. Somehow I think this whole thing is about holiness, to be quite honest with you. Do we walk in honor? Are we people that honor others? Do we consider others more important than ourselves? Do we seek out holiness? Holiness is to be set apart. It's to be literally sanctified, to set apart for the purpose of God. It's you and your person being set apart for God's purpose, not for the devil's purpose, not for your own purpose, but for his purpose alone. Holiness, honor. Now I forgot the second one. Humility. Wow. Yeah, okay, enough on that. The fruit of the Spirit, honor, humility, holiness. If you're wondering, if you're pondering today's message, those are good words for you to ponder on, those kind of characteristics. Assess yourself. Look in the mirror. Have the Holy Spirit tell you, am I walking in honor? Do I, do I, am I deficient in any of these H words? And listen to him and see what he says. Today, though, we're going to talk about the fruit of your life, more so than the fruit of your person. So let me just set that up with three uh, courses of Scripture. First is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. And I'll just read them to you quickly. For we are his work when... For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that seek him. And then James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. So, we've been created to do good works. Multiple places through the New Testament, Holy Spirit speaks through the writers and says, that we are created for good deeds, for good works, that we are to encourage each other on to do in these good works. Faith is pleasing to God. If you ever wonder, you know, God, mm, am I pleasing you? Can I make you happy? Declare his goodness in faith. Declare his truth. Declare his provision in faith. Speak to him as the word tells you he is in faith, even if you don't see it. Margie is the poster child for that right now. She doesn't have any idea how come these doctors can't figure out why she has this pain. And in the midst of the pain, she worships and she rejoices and she's looking for opportunities to just praise God and tell someone how wonderful they are. That flies in the face of the enemy. It's faith. God, you're good. No, devil says in this, look at all this pain. If he was good, he'd heal it. No, he's good. He's always good. If you want to make God happy, Declare in faith something that you can't see, and it'll please him. You'll make him smile in heaven. And then the third thing, and this is really important, is that faith without works is dead. So you see your sister, and she's hungry, and she's cold, and your response is, man, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. You know, I got this cart of groceries and these blankets at my house, and I'm going to pray that somebody's going to feed you, and you'll find a warm place to sleep tonight. It's junk faith. It's no faith at all. It doesn't please God. Your prayer is wasted. If you have the ability to meet the need that God puts in front of you, and the only way you choose to meet it is, is with a prayer versus the, the thing. It's like in Africa, when we were with Heidi Baker, she would teach us. She'd say, you know, you run around, and people want to run around and preach the good news to hungry people. Just feed the hungry people. 
Your words are not good news to them. They're hungry people. Give them something to eat. That's good news when you're hungry. So that's what uh, James is trying to tell us in this scripture, that if you think that your faith is real, that you truly have faith in God, but it doesn't result in any works, it's dead. It's no faith at all. So those are three things I want you to keep in mind as we talk about the fruit of your life, the things that you produce. These are the things, at least a subset of the things, that God wants to see from us that he didn't see from those Pharisees, right? That these other verses speak to when people were deficient. It makes me think of the verse, if you've ever read, um, gosh, I'm going to mess this up, but you'll get the gist of it. It's in uh, Daniel. And Daniel is this guy who has this gift to interpret dreams and hear from God. And he's been with all of Israel, taken into captivity in Babylon. And one of the kings, I think he's a fairly new king, anyway, he sees on his wall this finger, writes these words, and he doesn't understand what they mean. And he has his um, spiritual guys come, and they can't interpret it. So they go get Daniel, and Daniel looks at it. And the words say, you have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting. Man, that is not what I want to hear someday from somebody speaking for the Lord, right? Okay, so I prayed, and I said, Lord, how do I, how do I define the fruit of our lives? What is it that you're looking for from us? And two scriptures came to me, or two sets of scriptures. The first one was Matthew 23 and verse 23, and it reads, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So it's, there's some cool stuff we can learn from here. Um, first is that partial obedience at least if you read this verse, is disobedience. If you think of the story of uh, King Saul, and he was uh, commanded by the Lord, to he was going to give him this victory over this other army, and he said, don't you leave a single thing breathing, not the women, not the children, not the soldiers, not the animals, not anything. So he went in, and he slaughtered almost everything. Almost everything. But he didn't kill the king, he kept the best of the animals, as a sacrifice, he did what he thought was right. I'm going to sacrifice these really good ones to the Lord. And he was rebuked. When Samuel came, he was rebuked. And I'm not positive, but I think he might have lost his anointing because of his disobedience. He was obedient in 95% of what God told him to do, but the 5% is what God measured against him in that case. Same true with these guys. He said, you get a pound of dill, and you perfectly measure out 1.6 ounces, not 1.59 ounces because your tithe is right on the money. You don't miss if your tithe, but there's no mercy in your heart. There's no faithfulness in your soul. There's no justice in the way that you deal with people. You should have done that. You should have made sure that you tithed all these things, but you missed the most important thing. So the second set of uh, scriptures that he gave me are very similar to those. I'll sit down. This is a long one. It's Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So it's judgment day. Standing before, <clears throat> excuse me, Lord Jesus, separating the sheep from the goats. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you 
<clears throat> pardon me, come you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least, or excuse me, to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer to them, Truly I say to you that to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Then, or excuse me, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So I think that the Bible speaks to many, many, many things that represent the fruit of the kingdom that God is expecting from his church to produce. He wants us to start here. He told the Pharisees, you've neglected the weightier things, mercy, justice, and the third thing. He told the sheep and the goats when they came in to be judged, he separated them. He didn't tell them about how much money you put in the bucket on Sunday. Tell them any of that stuff. He said, when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you gave me something to wear. When I was naked, you walked right past me and let me just be naked and cold. The last bit of scripture, well, I guess the next to last bit of scripture that I want to read you today is also out of Revelation. And it's interesting, and the reason to me, well, it's interesting because it's scripture, I guess, but the reason it's interesting to me in this context is I think it speaks to both of the kinds of fruit that we're talking about today, the fruit of your person and the fruit of your life. So in Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, and then closing with verse 24, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. So Jesus is speaking to the church at Thyatira, and he's saying to them, I see your deeds. And your deeds now are even greater than what your deeds were before. That you are actually increasing in the goodness, in the fruit of your life. It's wonderful. No rebuke at all for what they're doing. He's given them an A plus on their report card. But the fruit of your person is lacking. Because your character is tolerating what he calls 
the deep things of Satan, the woman Jezebel, he says to them, you tolerate. And you really need to think about that. What do you tolerate? What if you did all these great works, but you tolerated the woman Jezebel in your heart and in your mind and and the things that you said were okay? Jezebel is a character in the Old Testament. She is the wife um, of King Ahab, I believe. King Ahab was a wicked king, and he was... um, Jezebel wore the britches in that family. She represents a controlling, dominating spirit. The Jezebel spirit is not a good spirit. So you see both sides of the coin here. Jesus praises them for their deeds. He says to those in the church that are weak in character, that are lacking in the fruit of their person, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. And for that, you're not okay. To those of you that are not tolerating Jezebel, you're doing good. I have nothing else for you. Way to go. Good job. So that's what he's saying to us today. He's saying that he expects our lives to be fruitful, fruitful in who we are, that we wouldn't tolerate, in this case, the the woman Jezebel, that those things that are um, distasteful to God would be distasteful to us. And a personal testimony... um, we don't have TV at home. I'm so glad we don't have TV at home. And I'm not telling you you're bad if you got TV. We turned it off when we went to Africa, and we didn't want to spend the money for cable when we came back. That's, that's the spiritual reason why we don't have TV. No, nothing greater than that. But in the process of not having TV, there is so much that's kind of the woman Jezebel that's not finding us that it used to. I, I'm happy for it. I'm glad that Annika does not have TV to watch in our house. But you can get TV on the internet, it turns out. You watch just about all the TV you want in your computer if you want to. And there's a show that I have found. I don't know how I found it. It's called The Office. 20 minutes a week, that's it. The other 10 minutes would be commercials if I had TV. I love the characters. I think it's funny. But there's a lot of junk in there. And the Holy Spirit has been convicting me. Turn it off. Turn it off. It speaks to things that are unholy. And, and I'm talking to you about me right now. You have to let God convict you about you. There's certain things that's easy. I could tell you things that, that you do or have done that I have done, not so much that I do anymore, that bad for everybody. Don't do those things. This he's speaking to me personally. And I don't stop watching it because I try to pretend I'm not hearing God's voice. That's nah, not God. You know, Lord, open the skies if you really don't want me to watch this thing. It never goes away. It never goes away. It never goes away. I'm praying, Lord, where's your power? Where's your power? Fast, fast, be holy. Don't watch The Office. Don't listen to the sexual innuendo. Don't look at things that people make okay that aren't okay with me. Don't fill your eyes. He says if the, if, oh, I'm going to butcher this so bad. There's a scripture that talks about the light or the eyes being the window to your soul. Right? And, and if, the, if the light that's in you is darkness, how dark is that darkness? And what he's trying to say is, you spend this much time reading your Bible, filling up with the Holy Spirit, and then you spend 20 minutes putting poison inside of you. Finally, my conviction was so bad, I'm not watching it anymore. I'm, I, I'm, you guys can be my accountability partners. If you find out that I watch The Office, you have permission to somehow rebuke me. <laughs> but it's that. That's what he's talking about. That's the woman Jezebel in my life. The big easy stuff is gone. No problem. No pornography. No cussing and swearing. No screaming and yelling at my wife. None of it. 
sanctified, good to go, can't, can't let my guard down, I don't have problems with those things anymore. It's deeper, deeper, deeper stuff that matters just as much to God. I can't watch that anymore. That's what he's telling me. You want to see my power? Make a vessel for me that I can flow through. You're all junked up. Lord, it's only 20 minutes a week. He's saying, yeah, it's only 20 minutes a week. You can't live without stupid 20 minutes a week? And the answer is, yes, I can. And I will. I'm, I'm repenting from the office. How about that? <laughs> I really don't want to make fun of this because it's, it's, it's real stuff. It's, it's honest. It's, it's God. And you've got to ask him to help you to find those things because we're wondering... In our minds, we say, God is merciful. He's forgiving. He's graceful. He's kind. I can watch the office, and because he's all those things, he won't care. He'll just let his power flow through me. But he's just, and he's true to himself. And you know what? For a season, he might let some of that good stuff flow through us, but he's not letting it flow through me. I used to see so many more miracles than I see now. I'm not less holy than I was then. He has a higher expectation for me. He's drawing me to a place that's different than where I'm at right now. He's doing the same with you. I don't want to be, I don't know what it's going to be like when I go to heaven. I mean, I know it's going to be great. I'm not going to cry any tears. God's going to wipe them away. I don't know if there will be regrets in heaven, but I don't want the, the video of my life to be played before me and I see somebody that died of cancer that God had for me to heal them, but I wasn't right. And because I wasn't right, maybe he couldn't have his purpose done. Now maybe he'll find somebody else and that person will get healed. I don't know, but I don't want that on me. So anyhow, for me personally, it's those things that the Lord is working out of me. It's those little foxes that spoil the vine and he's telling me it's time for them to go. I love him that he is gracious. I didn't have to deal with this all at once. It's a little at a time, a little at a time, a little at a time. That's what he's saying to us as a church. You need to know me for who I am, the fullness of him as God, just God, true God, kind God, loving God. A God that will judge us. A God that says, uh, this is not a good path to go down. A, a God that I think will take away your salvation. The seal of the Holy Spirit, I think God will remove from you if you choose to give it back to him. But he doesn't want that to happen. I promise you I'll teach on that before too long. I have such conviction about that. Okay, here's the, the last bit of scripture that I'm really going to read to you today. It's the scripture from Revelation chapter 3, and it's um, the church at Laodicea. And you heard some of it already, but I want to read it to you a little more fully. Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I don't know what that means. I thought it means that you, you, literally you're gone from God. You're not in Christ anymore. And I, I, I researched some commentaries, and some say that's true and some say that's not. I don't know. But I know one thing. He's not saying a good thing about the person that he spits out of his mouth. So whether it means eternally or just for some purpose, I don't know. I don't want to be spit out of God's mouth no matter what it means. Hear this. This is our culture. This is Americans. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. 
and I say I have to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. He's telling the church, you have to repent. And he's talking about things like, buy from me gold. He says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. Because you think you're rich, but you're not. You drive a fancy car and you live in a big house and you do these things because you want to exalt the God of your world who is you. And if you can get yourself to a place where you're better than somebody else in your own mind, the worship for you is the stuff. But he's saying, don't put your hope there. Chris taught us on this a couple weeks ago. It's not, that's not God. It's not bad. God, if you got it, maybe it's because God gave it to you and he loves you, but don't let it be your God. Don't let you be your God. Buy from him gold, gold refined by fire. What does that mean? That's the, that's the person that you are with the Holy Spirit inside of you. Accept the rebuke, accept the bliss, the discipline, the discipline from God. Go into the fire so that what comes out of the fire is gold refined by God. It's you, it's shiny. When you go to heaven, you can take it with you. Somewhere in one of the Timothy books, I think, he, Paul tells Timothy, he says, tell the rich people, you came into this world with nothing and you can take nothing with you. Store up treasure in heaven. When you get there, you'll be glad you did. He says... Uh, that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. White garments are righteousness. Clothe yourself in, in, in these white garments that are righteousness, that are right in front of God, that are doing the things and being the things and thinking the things that are him and not the world and not your flesh. And at the end he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's so humble. He is so humble. He's, he, he is God. He's the creator of everything that is. There's nothing that is that exists without him actually making it. And he hung on the cross for us. He, he let them pluck his beard out. I think it was Pilate that said to him, don't, why don't you answer me? Don't you know that I have the power to kill you? And he says, you have no power over me. I could call down legions of angels right now if I chose to, but it wouldn't serve my father's purpose. He's so humble. And after all this, after all this he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him, and he with me. He who overcomes, what? All these things. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's probably as hellfire and brimstone as he's ever going to be able to get out of me. I hope, I hope you hear him. I hope that what I'm telling you today doesn't drown out your knowledge of him as kind and merciful and graceful and loving because his love is in all of it. It's in the rebuke. It's in the discipline. It's in the fire. It's absolutely in the fire because you were created to do good works. He needs us to do good works. When I say you, you know I'm saying we, right? I mean, trust me, I'm a work in progress. I praise God for the person that I am today because this is way different than the one I used to be and I seek him for the one that he wants me to be because I know I'm not all the way there yet. So don't lose the thing that you have in your heart for how good he is because he is good. He's so good. But make sure that you look at the whole of God and you study the scriptures so that you know his justice and his power and that he won't be untrue to himself when he created this process, this process that now is going to get done by you 
me, us, the church, and the Holy Spirit. That's it. The Holy Spirit won't fail. If we choose our life, which we should understand we don't have anymore, over in Christ, life in Christ, submitting to him as Lord, then some of it's not going to get done. But that's the way he ordained it to be. All right, I think I've said enough. Silence is so tough. I was ready to pray, and the Holy Spirit stopped me. Here's the word that I hear, marinate. So, J.D., I think the music is great. I, I, I hear you back there. Play some guitar. It's awesome. But let's just pickle. Let's just marinate in what you heard for a minute or two minutes, and we'll go have lunch. J.D., will hallelujah work with just you, guitar, and you singing? The hallelujah, hallelujah. Continue to pickle as I speak. This morning when the band was um, practicing, I was way up in the bleachers, and I was praying and looking at my notes, and they started to sing hallelujah. And the minute they started to sing hallelujah, the presence of the Holy Spirit came over me, and I just started, just started weeping. It was so, so Beautiful. And then when we were singing the song, and it could just be me, I, I didn't feel his presence at all. I was praying and praying and praying, Lord, come, touch us like you touched me earlier this morning, just in practice. And I think, I don't know if you felt it, maybe you did, I didn't. I think maybe we'll get it now. So Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the conviction of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the blessing, Lord. Thank you that we have clothes to wear and, and houses to live in and cars to drive and jobs, Lord, and just every blessing. Thank you so much. And we might just sing hallelujah to you. Praise God. Margie, I don't know if you're still out there. You're the praise God queen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, I love you guys. I really, really love you. Thank you. But my love is junk compared to how much God loves you. You need to walk in the knowledge of his love for you. And then let's just praise him for everything that he is for a minute, and then you guys have a wonderful week. If you can make it tonight, come, and let's, let's chew on his word. And Yeah, hallelujah, amen. Love you, Lord, with all my heart. Given me a brand new start. I just wanna sing this song to you. Well, it goes like this: the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, and a major lift. My heart and soul are praising Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.
that you're the God above. You're filling me with grace and love. Now I just want to say thank you to you. You pulled me from the miry clay. You've given me a brand new day. Now all that I can say is hallelujah, 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 Sing that chorus again. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah.